Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about The Clone Wars, Season 3, Episodes 8, 9, 10, and 11. We're talking about galactic banking and war profiteering. We're talking about internal Senate negotiations. And we're talking about why do the people at the farmer's market on Coruscant have such bad business ethics? All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined, as always, for our discussions of The Clone Wars by Riki and Sarah Hayashi. How are you folks doing tonight? Hello. Good evening. We're doing okay. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. We are, um, I, I know we may not all uh, be on the same side as this, but I, I think these are, uh, I, the couple of the episodes we're going to get in here are some of my absolute favorites in the show. Um, I'm actually guessing that uh, Sarah, at least, you may have also an absolute favorite uh, coming up in these four that might be very different from the ones that I have. Yeah, I was so. just about to say, I totally agree with you. I think some of these episodes are, are my absolute favorites, and some I really don't like at all, and I feel like yep. they're going to be the exact opposite. <laughs> That's fine. It means there's always going to be someone having something positive to say about one of the episodes, so there you go. Uh, and Riki, what about you? What, what's your take on this little bit of Clone Wars we got tonight? Well, it's there's a lot of interesting stuff. And I actually um, ordered a book from the library based on watching Mm -hmm. these episodes because there's a Jedi character here who has a novel that I'm kind of interested in. So we'll get to that. Oh, nice. Is it the uh, one that Obi-Wan is so very fond of? Yes. Nice. I'll look forward to hearing about that. Um, So the two episodes we have are in episode, pretty much episode arcs. Um, But I think at least these first two are a little bit... Actually, no, I think we can talk about all of them at the same, the two of them at the same time. So, first we have episodes eight and nine. Episodes eight is Evil Plans, and it does actually start with the narrator saying, Evil Plans! Evil Plans! (laughs) While on an important shopping trip to Coruscant, 3PO and R2-D2 are kidnapped by the sinister bounty hunter Cad Bane in his dastardly plot to seize Free Zero the Hut. Um, There's all sorts of, you know, things that happen... Um, there's, there's a droid massage hall that, that C-3PO is sent to. There's apparently a one particular fruit that needs to be happen because dining is both very important, but also catering companies in Coruscant don't seem to exist. Um, but anyway, they go off, they have adventures and Cad Bane eventually winds up getting what he needs to, to free Zero the Hut. Um, so we find out that Zero the Hut is in possession of, uh, incriminating evidence. And that's why the Huts all want to keep him safe it's a podcast you can't see my finger quotes but hopefully you can hear them in my voice um uh zero the hut is placed under the custody of the hut council when cad bane is sent to hunt down zero he learns that jedi Jedi masters obi-wan and quirlan vos are searching for zero too that i think leaves out the most important parts of the episode which is basically we get a 1920s gangster mall romance between um job uh between zero and his sweetie which does, however, end in betrayal and tragedy. Um, so, yeah, what's your uh, what's your all take on these episodes? Yeah, well, I think we sh- I think we should also mention these two episodes bookend uh, an episode from season one, it's a Hostage Crisis, where um, we first meet I think Cad Bane and Zero. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, Evil Plans was immediately before, and then 
the next one on for zero is immediately afterwards. Um, right. I really, really, really like these episodes, and I feel like you guys don't. <laughs> I I found them charming. Okay. I, I feel like I was... The first time I saw them, I was kind of like, really? But then when I let myself... like, I think the second episode is much better. The first episode, I'm really not down for the catering the stuff on... Um, uh, let me just actually tell this quick story. So an essential part of this this, this episode is that uh, Padme is trying to serve this elegant dinner with a perfect dessert to a senator and be, in order to get him to vote the way he, they want. Um, I used to be a lobbyist. I used to work in politics. I used to host dinners like this quite often and be part of hosting them quite often. There was one time where um, I was traveling. I was in West Virginia. The person who was leading the lobbying organization there was hosting the dinner. And she turned out, got very into the conversation, completely burned the dinner. We had to order pizzas. She was very embarrassed. And they all voted for the bill the way we wanted them to. (laughs) So I'm not quite sure I understand Coruscant politics, that if you don't get the dessert just right, they don't vote for your bill. But yeah, what was your take, uh, uh, Riki, on um, the culinary and and other political machinations of this episode? Well, I think it's less about the actual food and more... Showing that you know and understand this person, mm-hmm. like you, you are familiar enough that ah, this is your favorite dessert cake, right? And yeah, and they'll be like, oh, how did you know? It's the brown how lovely, M&Ms, right? Yeah, attention to detail, attention to detail, and I think it's also just showing like Padme is mega stressed, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like she's put three PO or she, yeah, she's put three PO as her protocol droid. In charge of overseeing some of this stuff, and clearly 3PO wants his his buddy R2 included, and puts R2 in charge of, like, securing this most precious fruit. Uh, And R2 just, like, does not give a poop about this at all. Doesn't do it. 3PO's all up in arms. R2's kind of like, I'm an astromech. Who the F cares? (laughs) (laughs) I pilot starships. Yeah. Why am I buying procuring fruit? Yeah. And then yeah. Anakin sends them out because it's like, you guys didn't get this fruit. Go make it right. And... For my uh, friend. Yeah, for my, my bud. Yep. yep. <laughs> Actually, 3PO knows, he right? Must. He's there all the time. So I mean, he must 3PO know. knows. And okay, when Anakin is lovelorn and not sure, of course he's going to pour his heart out to R2. <laughs> Like, sure. R2 has been Anakin's therapist for years now. Sure. Well, R- R2 knows everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, popular so fan theory, R2-D2 is the embodiment of the Force. <laughs> I, I like that idea. Yeah. I like that idea. Like, I-, I could see 3PO being oblivious to it just because, mm-hmm. like, well, that's against protocol. So why? Clearly that's not happening. Nice, nice 3PO arms. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a podcast. You couldn't see my 3PO arms. So I nice, nice. We, we, we can hear them in your voice, though. Good, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I don't mean to focus on it too much. It, it, And the rest of the story gets a little more interesting, but it, the whole thing just made no sense to me, especially when, okay, there's only four of these fruit left in this entire market, I guess, so those he claims on Coruscant. It, sure, yeah, maybe. I feel like there's probably not, but you're, you're going to talk about this in, in a second, I assume. But 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 also, like, if I go to a farmer's market mm-hmm. and the person tells me here's the price mm-hmm. and then they realize I really want something and so they jack the price up by eight times, <laughs> I'm probably posting on Yelp that people shouldn't go to that farmer's market anymore. Sure. But if you're neurotic AF3PO and you're like, oh dear, we need this fruit. 
Artu, how much money do we have? That's me. That's a. Is that a Never tell game? people how much money you have. Yeah, <laughs> and like Artu doesn't want to do it. Artu doesn't want to pull out the credits. Mm-hmm. But like, three PO is all like, Master Anakin is relying on us. <laughs> Sorry for the bad three PO impressions. But yeah, and and <laughs> it's so weird. Like these four fruit just like go right on top of the cake, and then you send the cake out, which is like, and also. To your point, they don't seem very rare because uh, R2 and 3PO drop them in their Spock slash kidnap adventure. Right. And they're still twice. there. Twice. Twice. Yeah. And there's, I mean, like, I guess who would pick up, like, if you just saw a bag of fruit sitting on the street, maybe you would be like, no, nah, I'll pass. But mm-hmm. but if it was actually rare fruit. Yeah. Then you might be like, oh, holy shit. That's a, it was like Jabja fruit or something like that. I forget. Yeah, um, jump fruit, something like that. Yeah, so I feel like this market guy was just shady and, and could spot that 3PO was maybe fresh off the market. Mm-hmm. It, it, maybe I'm just too naive and trusting and I want to believe in the basic honor and dignity of a farmer's market seller. <laughs> no, but I just... no. As, as soon as 3PO was out, out of line of sight, this guy was like pulling out another can of this fruit and like putting it <laughs> on a shelf. Four credits each. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're probably right. Um, so, but at least then R2 just decides, okay, I'm done with all of this. I'm taking a spa day. Yes. Which I love. Uh, give me, what was your thoughts on this? I'm guessing, Sarah, you were quite a fan too. So, okay. So when I first saw the episode, I was kind of like, this doesn't seem like R2. Like, what, he, why is he the one screwing up here? Because the reason the spa gets brought to their attention is like Cad Bane's robot pal uh, shows up. Toto. To- Toto? Yes. Yeah. Who, like, R.I.P. Um, he shows up. And is like, hey, look, there's a spa. Why don't you guys take a spa day? Because they want to kidnap a 3PO and R2. Like, they recognize that it's the senator's droid, and they're planning on breaking into the Senate. Um, So it feels, I'm like, what? why is R2 the one who's being fooled by this? But on the, like, second time watching, I was like, yeah, he's just done. He is just done with being told to go, like, get a fruit. That's ridiculous. He's dirty AF. He's going to go take a spa day. Um, and when I watched it through the first time, I thought that Cad Bane and his crew, like, owned this spa. Like, it was some sort of, like, illicit much. mob spa, and that's why no. they were trying to get him to go there. No, clearly not. I was I was wrong. But um, it's just, like, a robot spa, which I guess makes sense. But, uh, yeah, because they don't yeah. even, like, R2 goes in, and then they kidnap 3PO, and they drop the yeah. suit. I'd written the same thing. Like, does Cad Bane run this place, or is it just a good coincidence? Because my brain didn't want to fully wrap itself around the idea that there's a droid spa. <laughs> but when I found out there was, I was like, okay, we're divorcing ourselves from this portion of reality and just going with it. Cool. I mean, like, Let's have fun with it. He makes sense. I think it's just like a fancy car wash kind of, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Well, it so did kind of feel you, like that. If you own droids, do you really want to also own a droid bath? What do they call the it? The oil thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget. So, like, in in A New Hope, the the Lars farm has one, right? And 3PO gets dunked in it and says, like, thank the maker. Yeah. But that's because they're on a farm isolated in nowhere, middle of nowhere, Tatooine. Yeah. Real but estate on, on, on Coruscant, yeah, like, it's, I think, a public droid spa makes more sense than each individual droid owner having yeah. to have a droid bath. It definitely makes sense. And since they are sentient, you know, it's not just going to be a car wash. You want to make it a pleasurable experience for them. Yeah, <laughs> it was the, whole... the, the two robo ladies, like, massaging yeah, R2's a, face was, was, like, a little much. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't think he has pleasure sensors there. But, you know, hey, fair enough. Let everybody enjoy. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I mean, the funny part was, like, of all these things, like, I think the actual plot for Cad Bane to get Zero out was the thing I cared about least. But is there much there to talk about? Well, it also makes, I don't know, I don't think it makes sense. So, mm-hmm. the, like Sarah said in the beginning, this one leads into the one where Cad Bane takes hostages at the Senate. Mm-hmm. So he needs to get, like, the blueprints or plans for the Senate building to be able to break in. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get that is to kidnap a senator's droids? Like, yeah. you you are a professional criminal. Like, surely you can break into the public records department. Right. Well, and at first it was like, how do you even know that her droids are going to, like, come out, right? So I think it might have just been, like, a kidnapping of opportunity. Like, they saw that 3PO and R2 are exiting the building. And they're like, oh, hey. He stole the fruit. R2 he... actually bought the fruit R2... originally, <laughs> and Cad Bane stole it from Amidala's kitchen. That would not be the least convoluted thing in the Star Wars universe, to be Cad fair. Cad Bane had actually bought up all the fruit on every farmer's market in the planet. <laughs> we'll force the them to moment. go to this exact Exactly, yeah, and that's when we'll we ambush them. Because it's right, I... it's right next to the droid spa. So you need a I fruit seller like... next to the droid spa. <laughs> I did like getting Cad Bane back. Um, mm. I feel like with Cad Bane and Hondo as kind of our two main um, bounty hunters, we're getting a nice balance where Hondo is like, he's kind of a lovable scoundrel and you know, he's always going to double cross you, but he's always going to be kind of incompetent about it. And he's always going to be kind of caught and like laugh a little bit at the end. And you're all going to be buddy. He's that buddy. You just don't ever turn your back on. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas hot, like Cad Bane, I think they they managed to make actually fairly menacing mm-hmm. and actually fairly he, like he is. this is a guy who's good at his job, who knows what he's doing, and he can get stuff done. He, he tortures three PO in this and episode. R two, yeah, he tortures both of them. But he doesn't torture R two. R two goes along voluntarily because three PO is being tortured. But he still like zaps him. Yeah. Anyway, they both get like electrocuted. And they like forcibly take the plans out of them and like wipe their their memories of that encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is interesting that like they just wipe that little part of it. Um, but well, I feel know. like if they wiped too much, then it would be like suspicious. Like it's already weird. And yeah. it comes like, what do you mean you don't know why you're late? But then Padme is just so happy that they've got the fruit that she's like, oh, yeah. you did an excellent job, three PO. Like an excellent job. And then he doesn't <laughs> shut up about that for a while. Yep definitely true uh anything more on this or shall we go on to the uh star-crossed lovers of zero and sai yeah, yep all right so in this episode i, I kind of give the plot outline um sarah take it away what <laughs> how, how do you feel about the uh love story here oh my goodness okay so as we mentioned in the like the episode where we first meet zero way back i think it was season one am i doing season two um mm-hmm. zero's like coded kind of effeminately but yeah he's got size noodles as his girlfriend um and i think i mentioned zero reminded me a lot of like curly from of mice and men and if we, all y'all are up on your steinbeck uh <laughs> curly is like a farm worker and he keeps like vaseline in his gloves to keep his hands soft and he's got this like real sexy wife but she's right. always kind of like flirting with everybody else on the farm mm-hmm. um and like that that's like I think I can draw like the connections with Sai there because she's like one of the dancers in Jabba's like pleasure she's a, cut. She's a singer. Singer. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, still like the traditionally humanoid, sexy Twilight ladies, yeah. which is another tangent. Anyway. 
Yeah. There was a lot of interesting animation with those dancers, oh but yeah, go on. <laughs> so, so Sias Noodles um, first appeared in Return of the Jedi in Java's Palace as the long-legged, long-lipped female singer in uh, the Max Rebo band. Right. Was she like CGI'd in? Or was no. She... Okay. In, the ori- in the original, I'm pretty sure she's a puppet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe in the new version, she's CGI. And there's an additional CGI singer, the male singer, who like waves his tonsils at you like right in front of the camera. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, it's very clearly CGI in a way that the original was not. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the worst additions to the extended edition. Um, no, come on. The ghost of Hayden Christensen. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That, did, that didn't bother me quite as much. Oh. But yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> But yeah, I like that that Sai has this like femme fatale quality. Like she hears that yeah. they've got Zero and they're keeping him safe in prison in uh, Jabba's hot Jabba's palace. Is that what it is? It's a, pal- it's a palace. I guess it's a palace. I think it's a palace. Yeah. So she like goes and she like seduces the Gamorrean guards and like gets in and like breaks Zero out and they go off on the lamb together. <laughs> The guards. Um, she doesn't seduce them. She 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 shows up and says, "By the way, Gardula, who who's like the leader of the Hut clan, Gardula wants to know which one of you stronger." Sure. And they like look at each other and then start fighting, and mm-hmm. then there's a third guard like in the inner chamber, <laughs> and she says to him, "Oh no, look, those two are fighting. You should stop them." And he goes, and like her and uh, Zero talk for like a minute or two through the bars and then in the background you can see the guards fighting the whole time but she gets kind of like like Gardula wants to see which of y'all strong yeah and like show me how buff you are gentlemen kind of there's definitely a flirty aspect and I I like the connection you make with Mice and Man and Curly for me though it's definitely what I mentioned at the beginning I um I definitely see this as like the 1920s gangster movie you know or even the 19 like whatever that age is you know she's very much the mall figure you know she's the kind of the guys and dolls girl who is just, you know, she's always going to be there for her man, except if she ever feels slighted, then she's going to be, you know, very dangerous. But just the very, like, slinky flirtatiousness of her yeah. was just perfect for that. She's great. And, like, even there's a lot of, like, older gangster references just in the, the Hut family. Um, like, there's uh, one of the Hut, I think, uh, his name starts with an O, I forget. But he's got, like, the little mustache, like the Godfather-style mustache. So there's a uh-huh. whole bunch of, like, old gangster references throughout the whole Hut Clan, which I think is really oh, yeah. neat. Um, but yeah, I also, what I really like about Size Noodles is, like, we very clearly understand that she is sexy, even though, like, and I don't want to, like, shame anybody for their tastes, but I don't think any human would regard Size Noodles as sexy. Like, she's an alien blobby creature. But, long-legged, long-lipped. Well, not long-lipped. Like, she's just got, like, a long like mouth protrusion thing kind of like an insect it's like a mm-hmm. beak except there's lips at the end yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah. Her, her body type is not the thing that i think you know we're socialized to find a tragedy exactly. she's not quite fit traditional beauty standards in the way that like um i think you made a note about this like the twi'leks are basically like attractive bipedal humanoid bodies with weird stuff on their heads yes which i think is a lot of the the attractive women in the star wars universe it's just like right. human with weird thing on head yeah um and, and, and i would say it's not just star wars i think that's pretty i mean oh, yeah. most sci-fi tradition sure. yeah it's a sci-fi and thing mostly in it's because of actors 
Like, yeah, yeah, but in a cartoon, and I guess that like Clone Wars being based off of like a live action film can't right. go too far away from that. And I do like that we see like the gold bikinis on the dancers, but like that is a that is an awful lot of boobs and butt that we that we see in this episode. <laughs> well, they're also where the in the the hut clan chamber there are mm-hmm. dancers who are wearing um like hut. Like head- headdresses? headdresses? Very much like Las Vegas-style showgirl headdresses. Yeah. yeah. But they're, and then they're shaped like to look panties. like yeah. huts. <laughs> yeah, it which was, is weird. It was strange. But I just, I love Psy so much, and I want more, like, weird, I think what I, I, I wrote down, like, more more sexy non-humanoids, right? Like, I want yeah other body types in there, and not even, like, just, right? Like, because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that someone... Like that, a hut would find a human mm. attractive, just yeah, in course. the same way it doesn't make sense that a human would find a hut attractive. Like inner beauty, sure, but like physical attractiveness, right? Anyway, yeah. So you want a sexy tarantula lady? Yes, give me a sexy admiral trench. <laughs> yeah. I am all for it, and not even like, <sighs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't mean like give it big boobs and a big butt. I mean like what you did, like what we see here with Sai, show that. The other there are other characters who clearly see this character as being sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to say it. Because, like you said, it, it's it's not that they want us. You don't want them to anthropomorphize them and give them the sexual characteristics that we humans tend to find attractive. Um, you know, whether that's the you know the the boobs and buddies you mentioned, or like you know the the you know th- uh, thick chest and a V shape. You know, for our male type alien. But yeah, just to say like, look, different different species have different secondary sex characteristics, and mm-hmm. and. You know, maybe for them, it's like the, the size of the beak, you know? Like, ooh, you got a really long beak. That's really hot, you know? <laughs> I don't know. No, yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, the, the way she carries herself, I think, is just awesome. Um, yeah. And, and we've been kind of dancing around it, but uh, what, what, what's... Do, do you want to tell the story of uh, the, the sad love-crossed lover... The sad uh, star-crossed lovers and, and where their story ends up? <laughs> well, doesn't she, like, abandons him? So they go to see... They go to meet his mother, which right. I have... Going from, like, one like size sexy to like Jabba's mom who's just like a very very big hut with a very very deep voice who apparently I found is like based on like a blade character which yeah per- I think Pearl was what you guys wrote sure yeah yeah Pearl from the 1998 superhero film Blade which I have not seen um so they go they find out like where they go they both borrow Jabba's mom's spaceship they call it not spaceship they call it what star wars calls spaceships which i'm forgetting right now it's been a rough week starship starship anyway vehicle oh gosh and then they go to zero's dad's grave which is where zero is hiding his journal which is where he has all this uh dirt on the rest of the hut clan yeah it's the books it's the books to put al capone away yeah yeah and uh in traditional femme fatale fashion a la Maltese Falcon, right? Sigh, sigh. Mm-hmm. It's like, you didn't come back for me, baby. You said you were going to come back for me. You ditched me. You ended up in prison. I'm taking this. I'm leaving you here. Peace. Yeah. And she shoots him. Yeah. And yeah, then and sells I, I, the books to Jabba. Yeah. She's so great. <laughs> the, the Maltese Falcon part. Yeah, it's pretty. Because that, that, that's even more what she is. It's not just a gangster thing. It's that she's the dangerous dame mm-hmm. from, like, the, you know, the, the P.I. novels and stuff like that. And I, I love it because Zero is this guy. I mean, what happened is she, he took her for granted. He mm-hmm. cut her loose when he had to to 
you know, advance whatever his scheme was. And now she's like, yeah, babe, I don't forget. I want revenge. And even, like, when she was visiting him in jail, he had a very, like, ooh, hey, baby, this could be very advantageous for me. I'm going to yeah. go along with it. Break me out, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's definitely a fun story. Um, And I think just watching it this time, I just was very charmed by it. You know, I, I could really enjoy it. Uh, and uh, Riki, I think you, there's a whole other part of the story we haven't talked about, which is uh, Obi-Wan and his new buddy. Uh, you yeah. want to talk about that? I mean, this... This part I don't actually like. So the Jedi Council sends Obi-Wan to track down Cad Bane, who has broken Zero out. So he has like a two-part mission. Get Zero back, throw him in jail, uh, and capture Cad Bane for committing crimes. And they team Obi-Wan up with, not Anakin, but Jedi Master Quinlan Voss, who is... Uh, basically a surfer dude hippie <laughs> yep. from a Jedi. He literally, one of his lines is like, like, that's just your opinion, man. <laughs> it's so <Great>. good. <laughs> it tells me that even, even this galaxy has a California. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, instead of waiting, when he first meets up with Obi-Wan, instead of waiting for his ship to land, he like jumps off and like does a flip and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's just like impatient, like not, not your ideal Jedi. And in fact, so I was doing some reading on the character and there was like this whole other storyline listed in his biography. I was like, I don't remember this. It's a it's a novel called Dark Disciple. So it ends up after all of this episode, Quinlan Voss is uh, ordered by the Jedi Council to go undercover to try to assassinate Count Dooku, ends up meeting Ventress. Uh, who I will not spoil what what happens with her storyline, but they, they meet up, team up, fall in love, and a lot of stuff happens. So, so I have I have ordered this book. I'm going to check this book out of the library. Dark nice. Disciple. It's it seems interesting because this character was interesting to me. Like I don't like him as mm-hmm. a person, but the fact that he someone like this exists in the Jedi Order was interesting to me. So I want to yeah. find out more about, you know, his adventures. Yeah. Like when they, they're on the trail of Zero and they also yeah. stop by Zero's mom's place and Quinlan just like busts down the door of oh, yeah. his mom's house and she's like, who's going to pay for my door? Like, uh-huh. knock. You could have just knocked. <laughs> yeah. It, it does make me wonder of all the emotions the Jedi are not supposed to feel. I'm not quite sure why vanity seems to be tolerated quite yeah. so much, but. Well, yeah, uh, Riki, definitely do tell us uh, what you find in that novel, because I, I also found it fascinating. I also just thought it was um, it was so interesting to me that, to me, we realized we haven't had an uh, Obi-Wan episode, really, in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, we got a lot of um, Satine uh, in our last chunk of episodes, but mm-hmm. we got, we, we, Satine asked for some Obi-Wan, but uh, never actually got him, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something that why I'm really enjoying this season is we've we've have we had a single like we're on a planet and watching droids and clones fight each other for the whole episode? No, there's been like they attacked they attacked uh, Camino. Yeah, there's been yeah. like bits, but that was very clone centric. We yeah. did get the the clone um, at the very beginning, the like following the arc troopers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it's like this one, we're much more on the home front. Mm-hmm. We're much more like not just on the battlefield all yeah. the time, and, which and I'm really enjoying it. That's good because I think, especially in season one, I noticed that there was a little too much extended pew-pew scenes yeah. of that. Yeah. Where it's just like 
20 to 30 seconds of, of shooting. And that's yeah. all there is. Yeah. I really like these episodes. Like, especially these two. They're just, like, so fun. They're, like, the action-adventure-y bits of Star Wars that I love. There's, like, a little mm-hmm. bit of craziness. Wacky yeah. adventures. Um, and, yeah, like, we didn't we didn't have a lot of Jedi interaction in either of them. Even though Obi-Wan was a little more prominent in the the second half but yeah it was just like it's just fun and i love it yeah all right so now we get into uh i think two of my absolute favorite episodes (laughs) so i'm sensing we have some differences on here and that's totally fine um it starts with um i think a very interesting name given the way that this phrase came to be used later uh heroes on both sides Mm -hmm. um here they meet it somewhat unironically um oh, oh actually i just caught what this is a reference to uh, and it's, I should have known this because I have made fun of it. In um, the third prequel, Revenge of the Sith, in the opening yeah. scrawl, it's talking about how bad the Clone Wars are. And one of the things it says is, you know, that there's terrible battles, there's tragedies, there's victories, there's heroes on both sides. And I remember watching that being like, are there? <laughs> These movies never tell us anything about separatist heroes. But so I want that name has to be a reference to that. Mm-hmm. Um But anyway, so in the first part, uh, when the Senate begins debate on a bill that would eliminate government oversight of the banking clan's activities, Padme and Ahsoka travel in secret to the capital of the Confederacy of Independent Systems in an attempt to forge a peace agreement with the separatists. However, after both the Republic and separatists agree to have a peace conference, Dooku orders General Grievous to dispatch a group of droids to launch a terrorist attack on Coruscant, resulting in the failure of peace. Um, And then in the second episode, Pursuit of Peace, Senators Padma Amidala, Bail Organa, and Oraconda Far push against a new bill in the Senate to buy new clones to the Republic. It's the same bill because the point is they want to deregulate the banks so that the banks can loan them the money so that they can buy more clones to continue the war. So all this really is about do we continue the war or not with the looming like war profiteering over it. Um, but someone does not like the opposition and tries to dissuade them. Uh, and there's all sorts of hijinks trying to keep, keep the different people alive and, and make the Senate deals. And eventually Padme makes a wonderful speech and everything turns out okay. Um, so yeah, what, what's your all take on the, 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 these episodes? Well, just, I think, again, we should note, like, this is out of chronology. And yep. these episodes take place right before the episode where Uncle Ono gets uh, assassinated. And this is the bill yeah. that he's assassinated for. Basically. Oh, that's right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Because he, like he's in this episode, which is a nice clue that it's taking place beforehand. Again, I still wish that we would get some sort of context with these. Like yeah. you can go look it up online, but it's weird watching it and not being able to like place yourself for the first little bit. Yeah, somehow like I think I must have not been paying much attention because I I wound up thinking that the Cad Bane plan was connected to freeing Zero, and I hadn't realized that he was stealing the um the plan the plans for his later attack and that the zero episode was actually not connected to that so well, it, it, it kind of was right like so he when he attacks mm-hmm. the senate he yeah. gets zero out of the senate and then brings them oh yeah that's right so there is a connection there it's just a lot yeah it's, it's there's like one episode in the middle too yeah there's an episode yeah. in the middle that we watched a long time ago mm-hmm. that kind of ties it together a little more neatly yeah yeah and it's like, the episode where anakin does, gives his lightsaber to Padme uh, to prove how much he loves her, and then has to I fight. I show you how much I love you? Take my lightsaber. <laughs> and he has to fight but, Cad Bane's minions, Sans lightsaber. Yeah. Oh gosh, that episode. But it, but anyway, yeah. For these episodes, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Oh man, who doesn't love fiscal responsibility and banking plans <laughs> and interest rates? 
I love political <laughs> machinations, mm -hmm. and this is full of them because <laughs> the whole thing, like, th this is the stuff that didn't make sense when yeah. you watch the movies, when you watch the prequels. Like, why are they fighting? Like, why are the Separatists evil? It's because Sidious and Dooku are playing both sides and keeping them at arm's length and, and doing these things like, you know, um, sending Transformer robots in to blow up the, the power plant and assassinating key figures in the Separatists who are interested in peace. And they're doing, you know, they're doing this to their own people right yeah. under their noses. Yeah, and then I think blaming the other side. Yeah, I I found these episodes to be I think some of my favorite in part because like you said that they explain so much, and I just feel like they're so relevant, you know, because what they're really getting into. And I've talked about this before, but I think here especially, and the war profiteering point, they're they're not they're being fairly heavy handed about to be sure, but just this whole idea about the way people can get sort of stirred up into hating the enemy in a way that totally dehumanizes them. Mm -hmm. Um. And I thought there were just so many beautiful moments, like early in the Senate debate when Padme is even suggesting some kind of negotiation. Um, one of the other senators says, uh, you can't negotiate with these animals. And, and that then... senator is literally an animal. He's got these like goat-headed <laughs> or something like similar. Right. Um, and then uh, when Ahsoka, they wind up going to the, sep the a planet on which some of these separatists are, one of the separatist planets. And they, they seem to be totally reasonable people who have their own ideas and they think the Republic is corrupt and screwed up and they want to be part of it. And clearly they've bought a little bit of the propaganda too. But I love that Ahsoka is just so shocked and Ahsoka realizes how much she has bought into the, into all of this. Yeah. Um, and she says at one point and as she is, I'm glad they didn't go anywhere with it, but I think there's supposed to be a little bit of flirtation with her and the, the son of the, the Senator on, on the other side. Oh, and she says, come back? where'd say? Do they never come back? Well, I mean, the, they, I, th they, I thought there was some follow-up. Maybe I, with I, him, but not the family. Continue, keep talking, Matthew, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, but but she winds up saying in this just voice of just kind of shock and wonder, you're a separatist? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I thought was so good, because it's, it, it's all about, like, she has in her mind this idea of the separatists as being, you know, evil and terrible, and she's so shocked to be like, a normal person could just believe this. Yeah, well, and so it's it's a, a Padme's friend who's a separatist. Who like she seems to have a couple of friends on not the Republic side, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's got um, Satine, and then it's Mina Bon Bon Terry, who's, yep. who she goes see, to see this time, and even in that speech where I think they said you can't negotiate with these animals, or maybe in a later speech, they're accusing Padme of being a traitor for like, oh, or do you have separatist friends? Yeah. Um, yes, we all do. <laughs> they were our friends until like two years ago. Yeah, um, but so, so they go there, and it's Ahsoka's getting all uppity with um, Bon Terry's son. They're like, oh, do you think all Jedi are evil? And he's, he retorts, like, oh, do you think all Separatists are evil? So it is nice that we get to see heroes on both sides, right? Like, yeah. these are just people being played, and like, we're we're positioned to think that the Republic are the good guys. But we also know that like the Republic is run by the ultimate bad guy, yeah, and very quickly becomes the bad guys. So this idea of like who really are the good guys and who really are the bad guys, and it, mm -hmm. is there something quite as like clean cut as good guy v bad guy? Yeah, really interesting. Ah Ahsoka ends that first episode by saying, um, "Politics of this war are not as black and white as I once thought they were." Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's a little on the nose, but I really like that <laughs> statement, you know, and especially for a kid's show. I thought it was a really nice way of being like, yeah, the, these questions are a lot more complex than you thought they were. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things where we've talked about how the Clone Wars TV show helps flesh out the stuff um, that the prequel movies don't really deal with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's good. I think th- this episode had a, had a lot of good stuff, but it also makes some of the movie things not make sense. And, and what I mean is at, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, uh, Sidious sends his new apprentice, Darth Vader, to Mustafar to kill the leaders of the, the Separatists, right? Right. And, and it's mostly like the people we've seen in the movies. Um, like the um, Nemoidians and the... Someone from the Techno Union yeah. and Geonosians, yeah. And And this episode shows us that there's so much more than that that there are yeah. actually you know senators like a whole a whole government a ruling council and it's not just like a, a bunch of you know as you call them mustache twirlers in, a, in right. a room yeah there seems to be this conceit in the like and that movie seems to say that like we're winning more of the war and that we're winning more of these battles but it seems the war is far from over and there's just a sense of if we kill General Gre- we'll kill Count Dooku, we'll kill General Grievous, and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, and you're, and I, I feel like it's not as much that this makes those not make sense. It's that that never made sense. And this is trying to be like, yeah, okay, we're going to retcon that and try to make it a little more sense and kind of ignore the dumb writing from those other movies. Yeah. But you're right. It, it doesn't really fully line up. Um. Just a couple other things that I thought were really interesting here. Yeah, I think you mentioned the idea of, like, the traitor, the idea that, like, just having sympathy for the other side or, or imagining the other side means that you're a, uh, that you're a traitor. Um, there was one line. At, at one point, also, um, her friend says, Under the Repub- unlike the Republic, corporations do not control us. Mm-hmm. And I thought that line was so interesting because, like, on the one hand, it's really good that they're pointing out that the Republic is um, basically a tool of the corporations at this point. But isn't the Separatists completely controlled by, like, the banking clan and the trade unions and all these people? Yeah, I mean, it seems a little, like, a bit of a Hippocratic statement. But, I mean, the this whole bill being pushed forth, it's, like, the senator from Camino, who's the one who's going to take the money and make the clones, is like, y'all should make some more clones. I vote we make more clones. Let's vote we make more clones. And the right. banking clan is like, I vote we deregulate the bank. Let's deregulate the bank. Everybody, let's, I vote. Yeah. So it just seems like... There are these two major corporations who are clearly like, I vote you let us take a bunch of money, and I vote that you give us all that money. <laughs> yeah, they're not being very subtle. No, but and no one's like calling them out on it. They're just like, hey, maybe we should get some more clone troopers. Yeah, they're not, it's, it's not subtle at all. And, I, and if you're listening to this anywhere close to when we recorded in August of 2020, <sighs> like these all seem like gross violations of the Hatch Act. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, I remember watching it being like, come on, no government would ever allow that. <laughs> <sighs> you know? Yeah. How many times? Know... Go ahead. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um... Oh, I do like there's one point, one of the senators, um, Padme is arguing against making more clones, partly because, like, we don't have the money for that. But also, do we really just want to keep throwing them away to be killed 
Uh, and one of the senators is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're making them for. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. like, I think that's a really interesting point because, like, yep. it kind of is what they're making them for. Like, I get what he's saying, but if you're doing that, like, why not just use dro- droids? And in the next episode, the, the crawl for the next episode, they refer to... So, okay, at the end of this episode, there's these little cleaner bots that come in, but whoopsie, they're not cleaner bots. They transform into, like bomb robots and they blow up part of the senate and then everyone's freaking out and they pass this emergency bill right um and in the crawl for the next episode uh pursuit of peace the announcer voiceover guy refers to it as a suicide bombing and like that was weird yeah right like would you have given those robots sentience if you knew that that was what they were gonna do is it a suicide bombing if like that's their job like if that's what they were built to do and i think there's like some interesting parallels there with the clones because they are being manufactured as weapons of war and i think we've talked a lot in the last couple seasons about how one of the central parts of this story seems to be you know what happens to the jedi when they're made to send into battle and death these clones where their moral value is not quite clear. Like, are they living beings? Are they bred for war? Should they be allowed to leave the war? And I like now getting to see how those questions are playing out on the home front, you know, that the senators are falling to the same kind of ideas. Because like you said, it's like, if if you can pay for something, if basically you're like, I am going to buy this tool to use to fight a war. In your head, now that's a tool. It's not a living thing. Um, And of course they are, you know, and I think that's, in some ways, it's also meant to be kind of a commentary on um, the way that, you know, the senators and congresspeople thought about the army, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was – I remember there's some really good articles that were being written around the time this came out about, you know, you had a, a congress that was almost entirely white people ordering an army that was almost entirely, like, black and Latino people in into fighting. And, you know, what value did they place on that? Um, yeah. And, and like, this, these senators probably have never interacted with clones before, right? So they don't get to know, like – fives and cody and cut up they just see them as like the tools that we have bought for war yeah they probably don't even know they all have names and and personalities like that um in terms of the the suicide bombing point i thought was interesting i i think it does seem to me like they were trying very hard to keep drawing parallels and i Mm. think they just called it a suicide bombing because they wanted to connect it to all the suicide bombings that were happening at the time um and this kind of like in some ways there's i don't think this is what they were meaning to say but I think there's something interesting about the idea that they're saying people faked a terrorist attack in order to justify all of this war. Mm. And this was happening at the time that the 9-11 conspiracy people, who were saying the exact same thing happened here, mm-hmm. that the 9-11 attack was faked in order to justify the war, were like at their height. I don't the think they were trying to support that. But <laughs> yeah. Well, doesn't, I mean, like for, the, for 9-11, like the U.S. didn't even invade the country that attacked them, right? Didn't they invade, like, a different country? Am I right? Sorry. Well, I need to remind everybody that I'm Canadian. We're not going to get into this. Okay. We first invaded Afghanistan, which is where the Taliban was based, and then okay. we attacked, invaded Iraq for no reason whatsoever. Okay. But yes, okay. exactly. Cool. Thank you for catching up your Canadian pal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, oh, and then also at the end, like, Dooku, so the uh, separatists have attacked the Republican Senate, blown up a, I don't know, control room down there. 
Um, power station. Yeah, and there were, like, people. And there was, like, a dude who, like, grabs his buddy's gun and, like, tries to save himself but can't. Anyway, okay, that's where the power goes out. They're not in the Senate building. They just, like, hit a power grid. I get it now. Okay, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and then, like, Dooku pops up in the hologram in the Republic Senate and is like, you Republicans have just attacked us. We withdraw our tre- our peace treaty. Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't they know? Wouldn't they know that they didn't send people to go attack them? Or are they just like, oh, I guess we attacked them. Like, wouldn't that what? be a, like, really easy to vet? Like, hey, Dooku, we didn't attack you. Well, I, I think that's the point. I think, I think, and I thought they say this, I think that they're, that they know that. And so that to them, this is clear that this was all just a trick and that Dooku mm. is completely lying and just pulling strings. Okay. That makes well, sense. there's also just, it would have to go through like subcommittees like, the full Senate is not going to know every single battle plan or every single right. assassination okay. attempt. Yeah, that's fair. And there again, I mean, like, you know, how often does the military lie to its citizens about what it is or isn't doing? Sure. Um, and sure. But that same debate probably happened on the other side when, when they were like, you know, the, the senators and the separatists were like, no, we didn't blow up your power station. What are you talking about? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That That is part of what's going on is that Dooku is lying to the separatist council yeah or the Mm -hmm. confederate council she is lying to the republicans yeah and like all the stuff that grievous is doing like no one in their government knows about all that right i do like that we get to see that um like palpatine's blue friend i don't know what his name is he's like oh yeah hanging out the one who's like the assistant yeah yeah is like clearly in on it which is neat Mm -hmm. Um, because, yeah, he's just, like, it's frustrating. Yeah, what what is his name? This is, I guess, this is into the next episode. I don't know if we're ready to... Yeah, they're, like, the same. Yeah, I think we're we're talking all about this as one plot. Um, yeah, there's one thing, though, that bothered me about all this, and again, I know, like, we're not going for heavy-level political machinations, but it, it has been proven over and over and over again that if you want to stop a political movement killing the leader of that movement is the worst thing you can do because all you do is make them a martyr. And I feel like if Padme had been killed for trying to bring peace, like, of course people are going to rally to her cause if that happens. Um, it's just a small thing. I think I brought it up before, but it's always like, you, you don't, this doesn't work. This is a dumb theory. Yeah. And even so in the next episode, it turns out like senators are getting beat up to right. uh to discourage them or like to encourage them from Where's voting the security yeah well yeah well, there, there's one scene that i like and ricky pointed it out to me um where padme and her her gang are like asking some senators to vote against the bill they're like uh my friends and i have made up our mind and then they walk away and it shows that they're all like bandaged up so one cool. of them mm-hmm. has an arm in a splint another one is like holding his side like yeah got punched yeah so yeah. clearly like They've been beaten up and told, vote for this bill, pass this bill. Um, so I think like that's interesting. And even when, so they, they end up, Bail Organa is the one who's supposed to make this impassioned speech about not not defund, or defunding the banks and not voting for this bill. Right. But he ends up getting like hit by a car. And I think it's just like some of the, the, the goons who are out, you know, uh, punching people, beating them up, telling them to not vote for this bill, uh, 
I don't think they're trying to kill him. They're just trying to, like, rough him up a bit mm-hmm. as well. Um, and he just ends up getting, like, more wounded than he should. And then, like, yeah. even when uh, Uncle Ono dies, it's, like, isn't it his assistant? Because she's just, like, sick of him being a jerk. Like, they're not actually... It's Yeah, it's not even about the politics. It's something about what's going on on, on their home planet. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I mean, like, I... So, killing martyrs, etc. Mm-hmm. That, that was a bunch of words about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's... I don't know. The second episode bothers me more than the first one. It was very negotiated. It was very much, like, people in, in smoky rooms talking about politics. Well, like, one of the first lines that said so dramatically is, like, it's, it's Bale and Padme and... Uh, Ona, and they're all chilling in the room, <laughs> and Bale's like, quick, someone go find out the interest rates that the bank is offering. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh, interest rates, woo, woo, let's go, action adventure. Um, turns out it's very high. 25%. That's a lot. That's a high interest Yikes. rate. Maybe yeah. you shouldn't have defunded the bank. Deregulated, that- not defunded. Sorry. That that is all totally legitimate, and I meant that you know I always talk about how I want the movie to be Captain America and Iron Man having diplomatic negotiations over exactly what the Sokovia Accords would be. Sure, and and I think this kind of proves why they don't make that movie because I would be very happy with it. Maybe Ricky or like ten other people would be very happy with it, and no one would pay to go see it in the theaters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I, I I just loved everything about it, but I can understand why this is not what most people want to watch when they want to watch Star Wars. I also really. Padme really bugged me in this, and I get that this is earlier Padme, so she's not as like self confident, self assured. This is uh, the speech she ends up giving at the end is like her first big speech, and she's like panicking about right. not being able to be a great orator. And we later find out that like she turns into a super great orator, but mm-hmm. I don't, she's like in her chambers chatting with like her handmaid, and her handmaid's like, "Oh, well, you actually talk to people, the common people like me." Who directly works with you every day. Um, And then she's like, you're right. I do talk to you. Tell me more about your family and how your family is suffering. I can use this for my own political machinations. This this was so bad. It was so bad. And then like... It was a bad speech. It was a a bad speech. So then her handmaid is like giving her a new elaborate hair headdress. And she goes out and makes a speech about how her handmaid is like so poor that she doesn't have electricity. And, like, her kids can't can't study at night, can't take a bath, you know, they're so impoverished. And it's like, pay her more, Padme. My headdress is worth. Let's cut your headdress budget as well while we're at it. Sell two of your dresses out of 300 and you can pay for her rent for a year, you know? Right? Like, I mean, that, I mean, we need to take care of our citizens is definitely a good reason why we shouldn't take out massive loans and buy more clones. But also... Maybe, and, and I'm going to start this initiative by taking some austerity measures myself instead of throwing elaborate parties with ridiculously expensive fruitcakes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, ugh, it, me. It, it's one of those times where I feel like the show is, is trying to have it a, a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when they clearly wanted to say, okay, the first movies had a princess, and so these movies are going to have a queen, mm. and she's going to be even more beautiful and even more incredible dresses. And look, the little girls are going to go so crazy for this. But we don't like monarchy, so she's democratically elected. Yeah. 
What? And I mean, like, <laughs> to be fair, I do go crazy for her outfits. I mean, like, yeah. Padme's got a good look. I love all her wacky headdresses. But if her handmaid is, like, literally can't afford electricity, maybe, yeah. maybe this is not where we should be allotting our budget. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, one little moment that I really loved from all the, like, political machinations was there's a one point where they're talking to the senator who is at first kind of very hesitant, but he's sort of seen as the one who Padme's speech, like, wins him over. And I think it's kind of a, you know, he's supposed to be the representative of, of a lot of them. And at one point he's saying that, like, he kind of acknowledges that maybe they're right. But I forget the exact wording, but he basically says that, like, oh, it's that they're talking about the war. And, and Padme is saying, like, you're letting your fear control you. You're 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 acting out of fear because you're you all this fear has been generated by the separatists that you're just acting out of that instead of stopping and thinking. Mm-hmm. And basically, what it shows is that like it's right, and he kind of knows that, but he can't just admit. Like, I mean, how it, that would be really hard for him to admit. I have been fearful all this time, and that's why I'm going to change my vote. Um, yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting way of showing like how. Once you start to go down that path, wow, you know, it's the dark side all over again. Like once you start to go down that path of like letting fear control you, it's really hard to stop because you have to admit things to yourself that you really don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Owning up to stuff is Mm -hmm. hard. And I think like that's, I mean, like not just in the the world of Star Wars, right? And like proving someone wrong is really the way to get them on your side because then they have to like admit that they're wrong in like this big mea culpa sort of moment whereas if you mm-hmm. can like maybe more quietly present them with facts to get them on your side instead of like shaming them or beating them up into to voting your way yeah but yeah the, the only other point i'll give there is that there's one one last moment where um there's a chase scene that doesn't make too much sense um <laughs> and we do have did one of those assassins sound just like Donald Duck to you? Because I heard Donald Duck and it did not make me happy. It's like the moist assassin. Is that who you're talking about? The, fish? the, shor- the shorter of the two. Yeah. So there's like, we've seen these dudes before. They're, I mean, they're assassins. They crop up. I think they were part of the like plot to oh, to like get into the Senate a little while ago that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the fishy guy. No, they weren't. I'm just no. shaking his head. There was, there was a fish... The fish was the one who stole Ahsoka's lightsaber, but it was a different fish. Right. Oh, okay. But yeah, they do talk in like a Donald Duck. Moist is the only like word and all (laughs) the uncomfortable associations that come with it. Like, yeah, it's, it's a very unpleasant voice, but it seems to fit his character perfectly. Like he looks like he's always kind of sticky and you're never sure why. And he talks with like that, like squeaky... Like, he's got too much spit in his mouth for some reason, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's an uncomfortable character. And yes, what? hover bikes make no gosh darn sense. Why? <laughs> what happens if your hover car breaks down? You just plummet. And also, again, the police surround Padme just on one plane. Two-dimensionally. Could, yeah, she could have easily flown up or down <laughs> to get away. Well- but what got me here was, okay, we keep hearing how corrupt the Senate, the Senate yeah. is, how corrupt the Republic is. Yet she is screaming to these, like, <laughs> police people, I'm a senator, go arrest these other people. Yeah. And they don't care. They're like, mm, and, like, you stole this bike. You know, if if you could tell me that in our world, the senator, like, if a senator stole a bike and the police wouldn't be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Senator, of course, go. 
I'd be like, sure, give me that world. Because I think in this world, our world's a lot more corrupt than theirs. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's weird because she does just, like, push a dude off his bike, steal mm-hmm. it, start driving around, stabs it a couple times. Um, well, you took, you can't just take someone's <laughs> word for it when they scream, I'm a senator. I'm a senator. But, yeah, you have I to guess at least she's show not, some like, ID. really yeah. well-recognized yet. She hasn't given a fancy well, There's too many That's people true. in the Senate. There's a lot of people. You can't Senate. know everybody. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is weird. Like the fact, and she's also screaming like those, they're they're trying to assassinate me. These two people are trying to assassinate me, and they're like, "No, huh? You stole this car, bike thing." Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem like a very effective security system on Coruscant, yeah. and I feel like it's it's nice that it's consistently terrible, right? Like we get that bad detective yeah. cropping up every few episodes. And it's I, just I, like. It's weird because I think what they're trying to say is that, like, it's because it's Coruscant and no one ever invades Coruscant and everything is so totally safe and fine. But then we're also constantly being told about the, the huge criminal underworld on Coruscant. So yeah. it's weird. just go down, like, ten levels. Yeah. and But I think, like, it, that, that is one of the points that um, in the previous episode they make, right? Like, no one's going to expect an attack on Coruscant. Coruscant hasn't been attacked in a hundred years or however long it's been. And... Like, yeah, then the upper levels, nobody mm-hmm. expects it. But the, yeah. the criminal underbelly, a few floors down. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. then, like, are the cops doing an amazing job on the lower levels of Coruscant? Probably not. They're probably not the least corrupt folks around. <laughs> probably not. Probably yeah. not. Well, all right. So we, we, had, a, we had a pretty uh, pretty exciting uh you know, often there's episodes where we're just kind of mad about. I don't think there was any here. I think we had different feelings on them, but uh, everyone really liked uh, what for each one of these had had at least one person really liking them. And with some of them, you know, I, I think even the ones that we weren't our personal favorites, uh, we all kind of found some good things in. You know, like, even just talking about it more, I found I liked you know gangster uh, gangster the hut a lot <laughs> a lot better. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, but any other kind of final words before we wrap up? Well, this episode, the end, you mentioned it. Uh, Chancellor Palpatine ha- has, I mean, one of his best individual scenes mm. in the entire series. Mm. After after the Senate votes against the bill, so he's lost, right, politically. And he's standing in his office with his assistant, whose name is... Mas Ameda, I guess, <laughs> uh-huh. because it's, I don't think it's ever been said on screen. Uh, but it's he's the tall says. blue guy with horns who holds the staff and it's always standing next to him. Uh, and basically, Palpatine just Sidious's it up mm-hmm, while yeah. while in his Palpatine, his chancellor's office, he's like, "It's fine. Like we lost this battle, but like we will still take advantage of this situation." And yeah. he does like the this losing this bill politically and not getting the additional clones actually benefits him in the long run. Oh, yeah. Because the Republic Army becomes so thinned out mm-hmm. and it forces the Jedi to commit more to the battle. Yeah, I think with, it's very with true. The, with the few resources that they have and become more brutal rather than just kind of overwhelm the separatists with with your massive army you have to take more risks you have to put more lives in danger like in in mm-hmm. potentially like dangerous battles so he absolutely does like turn this around and, and for me like this character 
Moss, like I, it's one of the great missed opportunities. Like I don't know if there's anything out there like a a good comic book or a novel, but he's always there. Yeah. Right. He's been there since the beginning. Well, it says like he was even there. Before, I, you might know this. I haven't seen the pre- uh, prequels in a hot minute. But like he was there with Chancellor Valorum. Like, yeah. Was Valorum he, for him, so Valorum was the original chancellor in Phantom Menace who is voted out in a vote of no confidence through Palpatine's manipulations. So he is actually a holdover like assistant to the chancellor, mm-hmm. but ends up working for Palpatine. I assume ends up like knowing everything and being a co-conspirator because by uh, his backstory, like his backstory is by the end of end of it all, by the end of the uh, empire, he is actually the emperor or possibly the chancellor. Like he controls the empire after Palpatine dies at Endor. What? Oh, which interesting. Is, which is stunning because at that point the empire has become a human supremacist organization. And has basically right. like driven out all aliens. So for Palpatine to keep him on as his assistant that long, and for him to still contr- retain that much authority and power is impressive. Yeah, yeah. So I think, give I me think a movie true. about him or a <laughs> yeah, TV show. I'd love, I'd love to know more about him. I, I I like the point you made though, and I hadn't really thought about this, but I think this episode shows this. The one thing I haven't liked is sometimes it feels like. You know, the the whole, like, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen it. And that, like, every single thing that happens is exactly what Sidious planned. And it's all part of his master plan. <laughs> and, and eventually you sort of, like, there has to be some degree of the characters having agency and things not going his way. And I really, I, I prefer the kind of idea you're talking about where it's like, yeah, he's not in control of everything. And sometimes things don't go quite his way. But he's always got a backup plan. He always has an idea of, like okay, we're going to put this into motion and I hope it goes this way, but if it doesn't, I'll do this other thing and then I can do this thing. And like, he's just always five moves ahead, even though he doesn't know exactly what the other guy's move is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like he knows the end goal. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, his, cause his, I mean like the, the plan of Sheev Palpatine, like homeboy is playing the long game, right? Like it mm-hmm. takes him what, 30 years or so to, to actually go from like, senator of naboo to emperor of the dark side of the republic i mean if you start at the phantom menace but it goes it goes back even farther than that like be- becoming senator of naboo was probably all part of his his, his long yeah. con uh-huh yeah, yeah. that yeah. i mean that there's a novel um darth plagius right yep yeah it's, it's very good and it definitely shows yeah. that um he has been to some extent on this path since he was very young um, certainly that he became aware of the dark side at a very young age and has been plotting for, you know, power that the exact directions it takes is something that evolves over time. Um, you know, yeah. say, say what you will about Palpatine. Like, I don't know what I'm doing in six months from now. <laughs> you got to respect a man with a plan. You yeah. know? <laughs> anyway. Um, thank you guys. It was a great episode as always. Um, fans, what'd you all think? What were, uh, what were your favorite moments? What do you think of the star-crossed lovers uh did you love all the political machinations were you bored silly do you want to know more about the interest rates of the galactic banking clans uh let us know you can find us on email uh at star wars universe podcast at gmail you can find us on facebook at star wars universe podcast or you can find us on twitter uh at swu podcast um and all those links are going to be on our webpage. 
And the easiest way to find that is by going to the Stranded Panda Network, strandedpanda.com, and just clicking on the uh, icon of the two two microphones crossed as lightsabers in front of the uh, Rebellion screen, and it'll clearly say um, Star Wars Universe Podcast. Uh, While you're there, also please check out some of the other great podcasts we have on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Lots of great things going on there. Uh, a lot of good things happening on, um, in, on uh, excuse me, Pandavision. We're doing all sorts of things about new TV shows that have come out. We just finished a run of Umbrella Academy. My partner, Matthew Carroll, is doing a thing with uh, a good friend of his about Lovecraft Country. That's been really enjoyable so far. And starting September 4th, the boys will come back. And myself, Jeff, and Matt will all be back to talk about the boys uh, season two. So very excited for that. Please check out all those podcasts. And on behalf of myself and everybody else. Have a great day.